And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's Monday as we get into the first full week of January. And uh, what a January it's been so far this year for the markets. We'll talk about that. Uh, this morning, Boeing's going to be down 8% at the open. Uh, apparently, something fell off the airplane uh, during mid-flight. I like the headline today. Fortunately, it wasn't at cruising altitude when this occurred. <laughs> so... So, problem with the emergency door exit, uh, apparently they've now grounded a lot of these 737 MAXs. Yes, that's the same plane that had the problem, the, the crash problems previously that caused the entire fleet to get grounded. Of course, Boeing was a lot of, uh, a lot of, under, uh, a lot of pressure back then as well. People were really concerned about what those were going to be. Of course, that, that passed eventually the uh, 737 MAX 9 uh, got back into flight and now this. So. We'll see what happens this morning, but Boeing again um, is going to be under pressure this morning because of that. Apparently, people don't like it when things fall off the airplane. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. We fly, you know, as a family, right? And you know, it's just it's always amazed me. You know, we get on these planes; they're just mechanical parts. And you think about how much a plane weighs. And look, I understand aerodynamics and all that, but you just simply have to admit that it's pretty phenomenal that you can strap a rocket to your butt and fly through the air. <laughs> And not expect something to happen every now and then, right? <laughs> just what and, are the odds? You know, what are the odds that eventually something's going to break? I mean, it's not. You know, these are mechanical things, and you know, yes, I know we have lots of maintenance. We certainly don't want that to happen. I'm not making light of the story, but you, you, you know, we do with the old saying, you know, a wing and a prayer. I mean. <laughs> It like, says a lot. I like the headline I saw. It said, historically, air travel is still safest. Yes, it is. And it you is. Know, it, it is safest. Until. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is why you always sit at the back of the airplane. You're the last of the scene of the crash. <laughs> um, but, you know, seriously, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it just amazes me, you know, the things that we do, right? I mean, you know, sending people into space is phenomenal. If you, I mean, if you actually just think about all the engineering and the things that we do, to do that, I mean, it's it's pretty phenomenal what we've come up with doing, and then you know we put a lot of faith in these things. <laughs> I would go you know. to the ISS in a heartbeat, yeah. but it's also terrifying. Yes, it's it's absolutely terrifying that you're going to shoot yourself up into space. By the way, we're about to have a lunar lander. First time in 50 years that we will have a moon, lunar man, a lunar lander. I'll spit that out. Yes actually land back on the moon. You know, here's what's kind of interesting to me is that we did this back in the 50s and the 60s, right? We mm -hmm. put men in space and landed on the moon yeah. and all that with basically slide rules. <laughs> we didn't have, you know, we didn't really have computers at all. We had human computers yes. um, that actually people that actually sat around and mathematically figured all this stuff out. They called them computers, but they were just humans. Really well, great movie on that, by the way. Won't this be the first private company to make a lunar landing? Yeah, and, and so this is one, but this is the interesting thing. is like, we've done it before. Yes. Right? What happened to all that technology? That's, you know, was, can they just go dig that stuff out of the closet and say, okay, listen, I mean, we had to reinvent this stuff basically yeah. from, from, from the wheel, so. By the way, that movie, Hidden Figures, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, if you've never seen the movie Hidden Figures, it is absolutely phenomenal, but it's but specifically the movie is about these human computers and you know us sending 
rockets into space and figuring all this stuff out and on you know, orbits. <laughs> Sorry? On chalkboards. Yeah, on chalkboards. I mean, it, it really is pretty phenomenal. So if you, ever, if you haven't seen the movie Hidden Figures, I highly recommend you see the, that you watch it. Anyway, January. <laughs> Not starting out so well. <laughs> kind of like a door on an airplane. <laughs> Just teasing. Um, <laughs> we segue this morning. It's going to be that kind of a week, I'm just telling you folks. Uh, anyway, uh, this morning uh, we are actually uh, entering the fifth day of January. So here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. So, uh, so goes the Santa Claus rally, so goes the first five days of January, so goes the month, so goes the year. So we talk about the January trifecta. The January trifecta is a positive Santa Claus rally, followed by the first five days of January being positive, followed by the month of January being positive. That has a very high correlation historically to a positive return year. However, there is also a fairly decent correlation between negative months of January. January is negative about 39% of the time historically, so it's, it's, it's not a zero possibility that January will be negative. It's about a 40% prob probability. But a negative January tends to have, on average, a negative year. Now, not every year this works out, right? Sometimes we've had a negative year, a negative January, and had a positive year. So, again, it just, it doesn't, you know, don't take these things as, you know, writ that this is absolutely going to happen because we don't know. However, Santa Claus rally, that failed. Um, we had the, the last five days of December were good. The first two days of January wiped out all of the gains from the last five days of December. So the, the, the Santa Claus rally failed. Now, unless we have an exceptionally strong rally, and unfortunately right now Dow futures, I'm looking at the screen, are down about 153 points this morning on the Dow. S&P down as well. NASDAQ is down. So unless this market turns around today and we have a really strong rally that will get us back above where we were at the close of the year in December, we're going to have a negative first five days. So if we now have taken out two of the three legs of the trifecta, depending on how today ends up, but that's, that's the problem we're facing. Markets broke below the 20-day moving average on Friday. So we're going to be wrestling with that this morning. We actually tried to, we actually broke above the 20-day moving average on Thursday, tested it on Friday, failed, and the market uh, basically kind of struggled through the end of the day. Um, kind of ended just barely, it was flat on Friday, but just barely up off of its opening uh, in the morning. Um, we're still on this sell signal from the MACD basis, which is also at a fairly high level. We are working off that relative strength index. Again, we were pretty overbought on a short-term basis. Uh, we are working off that overbought condition, but we still have some more work to do on that as well. We haven't got back to oversold yet either. So there is certainly at this point not a lot of, of strength in the market so far this year. Again, we're going to get through this and you're going to get a rally. In fact, we're getting, you know, after basically five days of selling off, you know, you're going to get a point where you get a little bit of a bounce. However, we had nine weeks straight of a positive advance. So again, we're just working off that excess that we had from those last nine weeks of, of, of November, December last year. So again, we had a very, very strong year-end rally, 15%. So giving back up a little bit of that's not surprising at all. But we've just got to work through this process. So again, uh, this correction so far, 
isn't anything to really worry about. It was something that's very needed. It's healthy. We need a bit of a pullback here. The question becomes how far do we pull back? Um, do we get a correction back towards the 50-day moving average? That's certainly possible. That Right now, that's around 45.30 on the S&P 500. So again, it's not you know terribly far away. We closed at 46.79 on, on Friday. So again, not you know, not tremendously far away. Uh, we could work towards that through the month. But again, uh, we've got to get this market back to more of our sole conditions, work off this kind of elevated MACD as well. So just these kind of technical indicators still suggest markets are overbought. Now, we are starting to reverse some of the bullish sentiment. That's also good news. Uh, investors had gotten extremely bullish back in November and December. So we're starting to reverse some of that kind of fear that got greed in the markets. We're starting to see some of that come off. The technical indicators are starting to show signs of deterioration. That, though, that does suggest that we still have some more work to do, but we are working through that process. So again, you're going to get a better opportunity to put some capital to work here. Just be a little bit patient. Uh, let's see how this, this kind of works out through the week. I would expect we're going to get a little bit of a bounce this week. Uh, again, just, you know, after the kind of the sell-off last week, you know, just you're going to get a little bit of buying coming in here. The question is, is, is are we able to rally back up to the highs or do we fail and, and then turn lower again? Um, those are going to be the things to pay attention to. Uh, but that's what you need to know before the bell this morning when we come back. Lots of stuff to get into, talk about uh, for the markets as well as we look forward into 2024. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So it is uh, Monday as we get uh, the first full trading week of January underway. So a lot of things uh, kind of going on. First of all, uh, we have a debt ceiling coming up again. You know, every time we get you know through one of these debt ceiling things, they come back to haunt us because we never actually solve a problem. All we do is we just kick the can down the road. We pass a temporary funding bill. Um, we do a continuing resolution that will provide funding for a certain period of time. Of course, we always spend too much money, so we run out of money before we get there. Then we wind up in another situation again. And this is the problem with not passing a budget. We haven't passed a budget since President Obama took office in 2008. We've uh, now moved to governing, gov governing uh, the country by doing these continuing resolutions, which are essentially just a bill that says, okay, um, we spent $1 last year, so we're going to spend a dollar again this year and add eight cents to it. And, so, <laughs> and then we come up with these, you know, kind of these workarounds for bills that get passed, these spending bills that get passed in between, you know, for instance, like the, the, uh, inf in the Inflation Reduction Act, right? We allocated $80 billion to the IRS. So we kind of mess around with those, those funding corners and trim a little of this and do a little of that. And we try to come up with something that will kind of get, keep the bills paid, so to speak, for a short period of time until we wind up in this problem again. And so here we are once again, uh, January 19th, around the corner. That's where supposedly we hit the debt ceiling. But, uh, you know, the actual estimate somewhere around February the 3rd. However, given that Janet Yellen isn't squawking all over television about how we're going to default on our debt, which we never do, um, probably means that we have longer than that uh, to get this done. But nonetheless, uh, there is a, a bill being floated around right now to provide funding, $159, uh, $1.59 just small numbers, right? Just, you know, we don't even, 
fathom how much money we spend now. It's just <laughs> quite phenomenal. Um, uh, sorry, it's $1.66 trillion. Sorry, I apologize. Uh, $1.66 trillion um, in this package to avert a shutdown. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, you know, when you went through this, and you kind of look at some of the spending, there's $886 billion for defense spending, $772 billion in domestic discretionary spending. You know, a big chunk of that's going to fund, you know, Ukraine and Israel. And, of course, you can't separate those two now. So we just keep funding, funding these, uh, these wars that are going on. But I thought it was interesting because one of the issues that's going on is that we have a tremendous, uh, we have a tremendous influx of individuals coming across the border illegally and a big chunk of those are on welfare and i thought one of the the interesting statements was by the democrats talking about that they have avoided any cut any draconian cuts to the social security welfare system in this bill you know we were just talking about last week that you know without some reform Social Security, Medicare, welfare, it's going to go bankrupt at some point. There's just no way around that. It's just math. You only have so much money coming in. You have too much money going out. And we keep giving money to more and more individuals of different types. You know, we'd say, oh, you know, well, hey, here's a group of, of people that need it, widows, orphans, firefighters, whoever. And this has been going on since the 60s. We just start giving them money. So we have this finite pool of money that of people contributing to it, and that pool of contributors is declining because of our birth rates in, in the country are declining. So we have less people paying in. Uh, back in 1930s, when we started Social Security, we had 16 workers for every one worker taking out. Today, it's less than two contributing versus every worker taking out. So again, it's just mathematically unsound. And yet, every, and this is our, our point on Friday, is that, you know, nobody can run for office I said Friday, sorry, on Wednesday when I was talking with Danny. Nobody can run for office and talk about reforming Social Security, which is a huge amount of people absolutely depend on Social Security for up to 90% of their retirement income. A big chunk of people retire re, depend on it for at least 50% of the retirement income, but there are there are there is a significant chunk of retirees that have 90% dependency on Social Security. So, you know. Um, you know, Rich is very fond of saying, hey, you know what, it's it's never going to go out. You know, nothing's ever going to happen to it. We're always going to find a way to fund it because we don't want, you know, people, you know, living on the streets. And he's right. It's always going to be funded with some sort of debt issuance or whatever it is. But again, you know, the point is, is that nobody can ever come in and actually create reforms for Social Security welfare because it is the honeypot that politicians use to fund voting groups. So again, we bring over, you know, when I, I just told you recently, I went down uh, hunting in South Texas um, with some clients of ours, and uh, and Danny and I both went, and uh, we were, they were down there talking about it that you know these illegals come across the border onto their property. Their property actually backs up to the Rio Grande. These individuals come across the border. They immediately get a $5,000 visa card and a plane ticket. So where's that money coming from, right? It's coming from somewhere. And then once they're here, they have access to welfare. Okay, so what are they contributing, right? Are they paying into the system in order to take care of it? No, because, again, this is government. Ever since the 1960s, you know, 
the idea of Social Security initially was great. You, you pay into it, and then when you're too old to work, you get to draw out of, of that benefit to, to live on until you die, and then you were supposed to die fairly young, right? You're supposed to die in your 60s, not live to be 80s and 90s. <laughs> that wasn't the original intention. We lived too long. But in the 1960s, it became the honeypot for any other special interest group that people needed access. You know, we, we feel that this group of people needs money, so let's take it out of Social Security welfare. And that's fine. Look, I'm not arguing the point, but the point is it's not sustainable. And we keep giving more and more money to more and more groups for votes, for support, etc. And again, this is why nobody will attack Social Security or welfare in form of a political campaign, because you'll immediately not get elected. You know, if you talk to somebody who's on Social Security, they'll, they'll tell you, because you know, <laughs> I hear this conversation all the time, they'll say, oh, yeah, we definitely need to fix Social Security. Just don't take mine. All right. Don't take my benefits. Take it from some other person. Right. And, th and this is problem. nobody wants to give up their benefit. Everybody knows it's got to be fixed, but nobody wants to give up their benefits. Right. So it's it becomes unfixable. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Um, anyway, so we're passing this $1.66 Theoretically, it, it's probably going to get vetoed uh, in the House. It's, it's probably not going to pass. Um, or if it passes, it'll pass with you know majority of Democrat uh, support at this point because the um, the House part part of the Freedom Caucus is not going to vote for a lot of the things that are in this bill. So again, it's, it'll, it'll be a, a fairly contentious fight to get this done. But um, nonetheless, if you know we are going to get it passed, and, and and the reason I bring this up and the reason we talk about this every time is because you're about to start hearing, as we get closer to that January 19th deadline, you're going to start hearing, oh my gosh, if we don't pass this spending bill, blah, 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 we're going to have a government shutdown, we're going to default on our debt, Social Security recipients aren't going to get their money. It's all BS. None of that is true. It's great for headlines, but none of it is true. We're not going to default on our debt because we can print our own currency. Social Security payments get made because it is mandatory spending. What gets cut, as we've said repeatedly before here on the show, is discretionary spending. So, yeah, you got to shut down the parks. You've got to shut down, you know, send home, you know, government workers, which, by the way, if you look at uh, last Friday's unemployment report, big chunk of, of the workers that were hired in that 216,000 were government employees and educators. With the state of our education system right now, you have to wonder exactly who we're hiring. <laughs> but a different argument for a different day. But we're not going to default. All those headlines are simply to cause a lot of angst so that you as a citizen will call up your local congressman and demand that we pass this spending bill. We can't shut down the government. It's None of it's true. right? And this is why every time we get to this, we tell you, hey, don't worry about this. It's not going to be an issue. And it never is. We always either pass it in the last hour or or we do shut down the government. And guess what? The world doesn't end. And then we pass some ridiculous bill and then we all get back to work. So it's just a function of here we are once again. And this is not going to change. This is now the new order of doing business in Washington, D.C. It is no longer a function where the House does its job of you know, passing a budget, sending it to the Senate for reconciliation, then it goes back to the House uh, to be passed, right? And then signed off on by the president. We don't do that anymore, right? We're now down to this system of just continuing resolutions. It's the easy way to govern. 
And the best part about it is, is because since nobody in Washington really wants to cut spending and nobody in Washington really wants to, to operate on a budget, this is a really easy way to do it because it just increases spending every single year because whatever budget you had just goes up by 8%. Now, if you do your math and the rule of 72 and how often that an 8% increase will double, right? It's every nine years. And this is why the national debt is now over $34 trillion. Just something to think about. Okay. So when we come back from the break, okay, I'm, I'm going to get off that, that horse for a minute. But I just, you know, I, the reason I'm bringing it up is you're about to start hearing a bunch of headline nonsense about this. It's like, oh my, especially if this thing does, if this $1.6 trillion bill doesn't pass for some reason, it's going to be, oh my gosh, we're about to default on everything and shut down the government. How terrible this is. You're going to hear all that nonsense and, it's exactly that. It's nonsense. Anyway, all right. When we come back from the break, um, we'll talk a little bit about the markets, um, what to expect here over the next uh, couple of months as we get this new year started. Be sure you get by the website, though, speaking of uh, markets and money, uh, be sure and get registered for the upcoming event um, on January 27th. Myself, Adam Taggart, Michael Leibowitz, Greg Valliere will all be talking about bonds, stocks, the markets, how to invest, how to navigate a presidential election cycle. All of that, January 27th, 8 a.m. to noon. Uh, doors open at 7.30. We're going to feed you breakfast and lunch. So again, it's all at Hotel Sinesta. Your tickets are online right now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Just click the banner at the top of the page. Be right back. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com looking for clarity for your investments in the new year you must attend our 2024 economic summit navigating markets in a presidential cycle featuring greg valier trump will be a big presence the bigger story in my opinion is how weak joe biden is going to be is the fed finished tightening liquidity i think is underestimated will rates ease this summer states are still flush with cash they haven't spent all their money from the pandemic relief bill how will the election affect your investments? I don't see any political figure right now who can bring the country conclusively back together again. Register now for our 2024 Economic Summit, Navigating Markets in a Presidential Cycle, featuring Greg Valier with special guest Adam Tackard, plus Michael Lebowitz and Lance Roberts, Saturday, January 27th at the Hotel Celeste Houston. Navigating Markets in a Presidential Cycle, featuring Greg Valier, Saturday, January 27th at the Hotel Celeste Houston. Registration opens but now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So as we start thinking about you know, the rest of this year, one of the current conundrums is where to allocate capital. <laughs> you know, last year, you know, we, we were talking repeatedly about, you know, buying bonds. Bonds had, you know, very negative return, et cetera, and that, you know, nobody wanted to own bonds. And, you know, that 
was kind of the situation then. It was a very contrarian trade at that point. Now, unfortunately, everybody wants to buy bonds. Uh, headline in the Wall Street Journal this morning, Wall Street doubles down on bonds. The consensus is that interest rates have peaked for the economic cycle, for making further investments in treasuries and highly rated corporate bonds a good bet. Problem is always that when everybody agrees, something else tends to happen. So, you know, all that negative contrarianism just went away literally overnight. <laughs> so, you know, as soon as the Fed pivoted, it's like, oh, Fed pivot, we're done. Back to buying bonds. Um, I wish they would be more bearish. Uh, that would give us a much better opportunity for bonds to appreciate. But nonetheless, um, you know, everybody's now moving back to that side of the camp. So if you haven't thought about buying bonds yet, it's not too late. Um, we talked about how interest rates had gotten very overbought and that those needed to correct. We've actually been having a little decent correction going on in rates here. Uh, rates peaked up uh, a little bit above 4% on Friday. Could go a little bit higher here. We're not oversold yet on, on rates. But again, that's an uh, inverse correlation between rates and, and bonds. So right, we need interest rates to get oversold and... Uh, sorry, get overbought. Let me back that up. When rates get oversold, bond prices will have declined because of the inverse relationship, and that'll put you in a good position to buy bonds. So we're not there just yet, but it's working on it. But, you know, again, it's just now everybody's moved back into that camp. Not surprisingly, it was a pretty obvious trade, but, you know, here we are. The other question, though, is, 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 is it going to be the Magnificent Seven this year, again, leading the way, or... Is it going to be some other group of despondent assets that we've seen previously? And this has really kind of been the case since 2021. Um, you know, in 2021, nobody wanted to own petroleum stocks because of, you know, climate change and ESG and all this. And those were the best performers in 2022. 2022, nobody wanted to own Fane stocks because they were too overvalued and revenue growth was declining. And last year, they couldn't get enough of them. So as we move into 2024... In 2023, it was healthcare, it was financials to a little bit of a degree, um, it was uh, utilities and real estate that underperformed. So are all those going to be the big winners this year? Well, there, there's a case to be made here. If interest rates are going to decline, interest rate sensitive sectors should do better. Um, so utilities and, and uh, real estate should do better if rates continue to decline and particularly if the fed starts cutting rates right that's going to provide more liquidity to those areas and again cap rates go up on real estate etc making those much more attractive um one of the you know but you know in terms of the magnificent seven if inflation continues to fall and you have more disinflation in the economy and or if you have a recession those stocks tend to do better because they actually can generate earnings growth so Again, you know, what's this year going to look like? It's really hard to tell right now. There's certainly a, you can make a case for some certain sectors based on what your expectations are for having a recession or not, or having, you know, declining rates versus stable rates, or declining inflation versus stable inflation. And that's one of the things that we may be dealing with. What if, and again, I don't know the answer to this, but... You know, if interest rates are coming down, stocks are doing well, right? That boosts consumer confidence. So consumers go out and they buy stuff. That stabilizes demand in the economy. So let's say inflation doesn't decline, but it doesn't really go up. It just maybe stabilizes around 3% versus the Fed's 2% target. 
Well, that suggests that the Fed probably, A, won't cut rates. But B, it also means they won't, don't raise them either. They just kind of stay pat. If the economy just kind of muddles along at 2 or 3%, then, again, no real push for the Fed to do anything. They just keep saying, hey, we're monitoring data as it comes in. We know we potentially could hike rates if needed, but right now we don't see any reason to do anything. So maybe one of the outcomes this year is the, is the one that's most unexpected because right now, everybody expects, right, a recovering economy, the Fed cutting rates, and assets prices doing well. That's what everybody expects. That is the global consensus. So what's the non-global consensus? Well, obviously, there's a, a very small camp right now that expects a recession. But, you know, that's kind of the arguments, right? It's either expansion or recession. But what about the, the in-between outcome. What if everything just kind of stabilizes where it is? And again, we don't we don't really have anything, you know, any camp out there and there's just a stabilizing scenario. And that's the one thing that is got some possibility to it that again, nobody's really talked about. We haven't really addressed it. We haven't really thought about it in terms of what does this mean for the Fed policy? If things stabilize, maybe that's the environment that keeps the Fed from doing nothing. Maybe they just sit pat for a much longer period than expected. Now, all of a sudden, you've got the issue with everybody that was in the camp of, you know, buying depressed real estate and, and buying, you know, utilities on the expectation of a decline in rates. If rates just stabilize, Maybe that makes those less of a performance group. Then you have to go back and function, you know, start looking at the companies that actually grow earnings in the current environment, right? That's going to bring back to tech. Energy. They're going to continue to grow earnings. Healthcare will grow earnings. So, see, this is the challenge, right? As you look forward, this is the challenge. And again, I, I don't have any of the answers. So don't say, well, Lance, what do you think is going to happen? I can tell you what I think is going to happen, but I don't know, right? It's, it's, it's no different with me guessing than you guessing. And it just depends on who guesses right. That's, that's all we're down to right now is saying, okay, who's got the better guess, <laughs> right? At the, end, at the end of this year, we'll know. If you, if you went long tech and tech wins, hey, you were a genius. We don't know, right? If you go long energy and maybe this year energy wins. Maybe this year is the year that commodities come roaring back, right? That was the expectation last year. Commodities were going to be the big outperformer last year, and they weren't. So maybe this is their year. They have them, right? Uh, commodities go through years where they have absolutely outstanding performances. Maybe this is the year. Don't really have the economic backdrop for it, but may, you never know. So again, it's just this, this is the point that it gets very difficult. And we're kind of in this bit of a limbo stage here in the markets right now. The market's just starting out for the year. Nothing's really kind of working great right now. Um, low volatility stocks are doing better than high volatility stocks because it's a defensive rotation. But what about next week and the week after and next month, right? What's, what are going to be the next steps? And again, this is where it gets challenging. And this is where, but, you know, as investors, we have to start making some bets and this is why right now we're saying, hey, let's just sit still for the moment and just wait. 
and let's start seeing what actually starts to bubble to the surface and we'll kind of know where money's gravitating to in the markets and we can kind of follow along. Over the next two months, and as we get through the end of the first quarter, we're going to have a couple of things behind us that we'll be able to look at more specifically. One, we're going to get fourth quarter earnings here starting next week, right? So starting next week, we're going to start getting a flow of earnings from all these companies. So we're going to get to see just how strong Q4 was in terms of the economy. And we'll have a lot of, uh, a lot of information on consumer spending. We'll have a lot of con uh, 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 news information on, you know, retail sales and all these type of things coming in. So by the end of the first quarter, we're going to have a lot of data to work on to see, well, this is what the environment is shaping up to economically. But also, by the end of the first quarter, we're going to be able to see some very clear trends for the year as to what's leading and lagging. And so we'll begin to make better. Now, I'm not saying you wait till the end of the first quarter to do anything, but I'm just saying by the end of the first quarter, we'll be able to look at our portfolio and say, this part of our portfolio is doing well. This part isn't doing as well. Let's do some shifts. Right. And, and let's rebalance the portfolio. So, again, over the course of the next couple of months, we're going to get some better estimations about what's working and what's not. And so, again, this is why we keep saying right now, just kind of sit tight, sit tight. Don't make any big bets at the moment, you know, based on, you know, what you hear on television or reading the Wall Street Journal about what this year is going to look like, because nobody knows. But this is where we often make mistakes. And again, what happens is, as investors, we tend to make these big bets early on in the year. And then when we're wrong, we don't want to admit we're wrong. So we stay wrong too long. Just let's wait and see, because we'll get a good opportunity to do that. And we'll get an opportunity to rebalance everything. Um, you know, as we talked about, bonds have been under a bit of pressure lately, which is what we thought was going to happen. So just sit tight. We'll have a better opportunity here. To, and I'm getting a lot of emails right now. It's like, now it's time to buy bonds. Just, just wait. We're not... We're not there yet. We're still through that process. Give it some time to work off some of that big run that they had back in November, December. Everything's, you know, everything is, is off sides at the moment. We had a massive amount of buying in November and December, record corporate buybacks by a large margin. We had professional investors just piling into stocks as, with reckless abandon. They were just buying everything they could get their hands on. And now they're in the process of unwinding all that, right? They had to get that performance on the books by the end of the year to play catch up to the markets, which they did. And now they're unwinding all that. So that's just going to take a little bit more time to do. And again, that can keep pressure on the markets here for a little bit longer. And again, as I said earlier, you know, Dow's looking to be to open down this morning a bit. S&P is also negative uh, this morning. Let me get, get you a quick update. Uh, Dow futures down 175. Uh, S&P's down about five right now. NASDAQ's down. Um, NASDAQ's about flat. So again, you know, it's just, you know, and if you kind of look at that, right? So if the NASDAQ's flat and the Dow's down 175, see, there's a rotation out of the defensive stocks back into tech, right? So again, all this joggling, you know, here over the last, you know, week, is just that process of rebalancing portfolios for the year. So again, don't take any, don't take much out of this stuff, right? This is where it kind of leads you astray. All right, quick break. We'll come back. Get ready to wrap up the show. Get you ready for the day. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. back to the show this morning just kind of an interesting side note uh brent and i have uh, been involved in radio for well me over 20 years brent like since before it was radio he was in radio when they just you know ran with stone tablets around and showed them to people right <laughs> ads were always funny back then uh, <laughs> here's what we're talking about oh here's the ad um but um odyssey which is a online radio and podcast giant. Um, they have spent the last decade, you know, building a platform. Um, a lot of the radio stations that Brent and I have worked on from time to time, you know, have been part of Odyssey and, and all that. Anyway, they filed for bankruptcy, Chapter 11. Uh, they're filing for bankruptcy in Texas to reduce their debt load. Uh, the restructuring agreement will allow Odyssey to slash its total debt load by 80% to about $350 million from $1.9 billion, which was their debt load. Um, the CEO of Odyssey said that over the past few years, we have strategically transformed Odyssey into a leading, a leading scaled multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Of course, you can download the Odyssey app, right? And you can get access to podcasts and all kinds of things. Um, however... He said, the perfect storm over the past four years of macroeconomic challenges facing the traditional advertising market led to a sharp reduction in radio and spending. And I think that's an interesting statement because, again, you know, what podcast and radio shows depend on, of course, for revenue is advertising. And advertisers have so many choices now in terms of how to spend their ad dollars, and they're all trying to determine the best way to spend those ad dollars. You get the most bang for their buck. Of course, social media, um, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, has absorbed a lot of it. So back in the day, right before 2007, uh, particularly 2010 in particular, um, when social media really began to take off, the really only choices for advertising, and again, going back, you know, pre 2000, right? Your your traditional lines of advertising were radio, television, and newspaper. If you don't know what a newspaper is, it's they would deliver it to your door, and it's a bunch of paper folded together, had news, right? And there would be ads in there that you could buy. You know, you could take out a full page ad in the Houston Chronicle or the Houston Post or whatever, and that's how you advertised, right? And and you would advertise uh, on your local radio station because people would drive around during the day, they would listen to a, a station. Right. And then they would get advertisements while you were driving around. And of course, on television. So you would have your ad breaks on television. Well, streaming services have taken away a lot of that advertising revenue. Right. It's made it less attractive to advertise on television, so to speak, because you have so many choices of ad free streaming now. So you've kind of removed some of that. So this is this is pushing more and more advertisers towards social media and away from traditional and again radio advertising uh, you know we we keep hearing about the perennial death of radio right it's every year radio is going to die and it never does it's still here but there's certainly a a detraction from people listening to the radio because they can get their car now and they can hook up their 
you know, their phone to their Bluetooth connection in their car and they can listen to a podcast or they can listen to uh, downloaded music without commercials, etc. Right. So there's just this big competition for ad dollars that is shifting how people spend ad dollars. And again, where do I spend those ad dollars? And so, you know, and this really picked up traction uh, during the COVID pandemic because people were shut down at home. So people started doing a lot of music downloads and those type of things to, you know, listen to podcasts, et cetera. And now there are 50 million different podcasts on YouTube. <laughs> so everybody's competing for the same ad dollar. It's just a tremendous amount of competition for those advertising dollars, and those dollars are getting stretched you know, a lot more thin as we go. So I just thought it was interesting, though. This is a Philadelphia-based company. Um, they own hundreds of radio stations and is one of the top broadcasters in the U.S. Odyssey owns uh, WFAN Sports Radio New York, uh, 1010 Wins on KCBS, a lot of other big stations around the country. And again, it's just it's interesting to see that they are filing for bankruptcy. Um, Clear Channel has been in and out of bankruptcy warnings for I can't remember, you know, going back to 2000, I think they were fighting with bankruptcy back then. So, you know, these big radio stations, they've been fighting with us for a long time. This isn't new, right? This isn't a new thing. But I just think it's a it's a, it's an interesting statement of where we are because again, particularly with Odyssey, they 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 spent a lot of money to build this very big online streaming platform that didn't work and took on a lot of debt to do it. And this is, you know, this is always the thing about debt. Corporate debt is fine. Leveraging yourself up is fine. It's as long as you're growing revenue. The problem is, is when that leverage comes back to bite you, uh, particularly in a year. And then and again, this is part of what we've talked about previously is that when interest rates go up, this is, you know, we're, we're seeing more bankruptcies tick up. Right. Because interest servicing cost has risen sharply over the last couple of years as interest rates went up. So companies are having to refinance debt at much higher rates. All of a sudden that eats into your cash flow. And see, there's the risk. See, it's, it's one it's, it's OK to leverage up when rates are low. Right. Because it's easy. You know, when interest rates are near zero, it's very easy to leverage up and still meet your bills. It's a different environment where all that leverage all of a sudden takes on a new rate and a much higher rate. All of a sudden, that cash flow becomes very crimped very quickly. So again, you know, Odyssey's just you know one casualty of many bankruptcies we're already seeing this year. Um, they likely won't be the last. Uh, keep an eye on bankruptcies. Uh, you know, as, as we talk about the potential for a recessionary risk in the economy, and again, you know, we're not out of the woods just yet. You know, a lot of people are, are now expecting. Uh, we went from a camp, a very large camp of people expecting a recession in 2023 to now a very small camp of that expectation. Now the largest, you know, kind of view for 2024 is this soft landing, no landing scenario. There is still a risk of a recession. And in fact, Friday's article is talking about uh, an indicator that we've tracked for a few years that is now starting to just now signal a recessionary onset. Uh, so we go through all that data on Friday. I'm not going to spoil it for you. You have to wait and read the article on Friday. But you know, we're there's still that risk. We have, you know, the you know, yes, leading indicators are, are negative. The yield curve is still negative. There's certainly those indicators that have always had a very strong track record of predicting recessions. Those are still predicting recession. But 
the market by and large is now fully discounting that. And, and there's a case, and look, we've made the case for that. There's so much liquidity out there that it's very possible we could avoid a recession or at least delay it longer. But the risk of that recession is still there. And, you know, you can't deny that. And if you keep a watch on bankruptcies, that'll also tell you a lot because bankruptcies, as they continue to expand, if they can end, and that's an if, you know, if bankruptcies continue to 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 spike up, it tells you a lot about what's happening underneath the surface of the economy. So just something, you know, worth considering. Um, I thought there was an interesting article this morning in uh, the Wall Street Journal that Brent put on my tab talking about buying home and auto insurance used to be routine. It's becoming a nightmare. I thought this was interesting because it's, it's, it blames rising auto cost and rising uh, insurance costs on disasters, right? And if you take a look at, at national, you know, take a look at disasters, they're down like 99% from, in terms of the, the damage and all this that, that occurs from natural disasters, they're down like 99% from where we were in the 1920s because we, we've, we've built hurricane, you know, proof buildings and earthquake proof buildings and people are more resilient. People have moved to other areas. Uh, so the damages, you know, we, we see these, you know, headlines of, you know, a hurricane hits and it's $20 billion. And, you know, those numbers have gotten hugely inflated because of how government spends money. But the actual, you know, frequency and damage and destruction is down sharply from where we were previously. But I thought this was interesting because it talks about how insurance costs have risen so much since the pandemic. And it's not because of an increase in natural disasters. It's because we gave people $5 trillion. And insurance companies, not being stupid, go, hey, Brent has more money to spend. We're going to raise the insurance cost. Why not? Same thing for child care, right? We gave people child, uh, child care credits. What did child care providers do? They raised the cost. Surprise. And it's not just, and again, it's just, this is the short-sightedness that we, that we see in a lot of the media, right? They just, they want to blame something for this thing. It's like, oh, well, it's because of, you know, more people went out and had car crashes since COVID. So we're going to raise auto. That's not true. It's we gave them money. They can afford more costs for insurance. So we raised the cost of auto insurance, right? So again, this is just this residual impact um from all that COVID spending everybody was like hey let's just give people money what's the worst that could happen inflation <laughs> that's the worst that can happen if you give people a lot of money people that provide stuff are going to go hey if you've got more money to spend i'm going to raise my prices surprise you know and it just it just it just is, is interesting this will eventually reverse itself but i will tell you it will reverse itself prices will never go back to where they were they just won't be able to raise them as much, right? Supply and demand will start to level off pricing in a lot of these areas. But insurance is never going back to where it was. Gasoline prices are never going back to 25 cents a gallon where they were when I was growing up. And that was expensive back then. <laughs> so, you know, it's just going to allow time over the next five to 10 years wages will catch up with prices and things will normalize, but it's going to take time. Just in the meantime, don't send checks to households again. <laughs> it's not a great idea. All right, wrap up the show for the day. 
Uh, be back tomorrow, of course, uh, with our latest article. We'll talk about our polls that we took uh, on Twitter over the holidays. We'll talk about what the results of that were. Uh, we've got an article coming out on it tomorrow. We'll talk about it in the morning right here on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day.